when you're talking to a person, they won't believe anything you don't believe. They won't buy into anything you don't buy into. If you can't effectively communicate your standpoint, your viewpoint, your offering, what makes you different, if you can't effectively communicate those things, then somebody really can't necessarily buy into it either. Tap into the minds of change makers creating real impact on people and our planet. It's time to live your purpose. I'm your host, Dale Wilkinson, and this is Good Makers. Hey, what is up? Thanks for tuning into Good Makers. Now, it's Thanksgiving week here in the States, so I'm taking this opportunity to repost an episode that originally aired in July. It's the episode with Scott Evans, host of NBC's Access Hollywood and World of Dance. We talked about how to use your voice to influence, which is perfect timing if you are seeing family for the holidays, even though you shouldn't be because COVID is still ravaging this country. And since this episode originally aired, Scott has launched his own podcast, So Close with Scott Evans, where he has intimate conversations with celebrities and thought leaders about how they built resilience in the face of challenges and personal struggles. Go listen and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. Now here's our conversation about how to use your voice to influence. Hey, Scott. How you doing? Welcome to the show. Thanks, man. I'm doing pretty good. How about you? I'm doing pretty good. Are you nervous? I am a little nervous, but less nervous and more excited for what you've got going on here. Because you're usually the one interviewing people. Do you still get nervous? A, interviewing people, and each day you're also doing a live show to millions of people. Do you still get nervous? So I used to get like sweaty and anxious when you when it was time to interview like a big A-list celebrity, right? Or someone that maybe wasn't even big, but that someone that I just really loved and respected and uh, was super familiar with and wanted to do right by that interaction. I have, those days are kind of over. I don't really get nervous to interview Will Smith. I don't really get nervous to interview Oprah Winfrey or Tom Hanks. Like I don't get nervous about that anymore. Would I, would I get a little anxiety about sometimes is making sure that based on the requirements of the job, right? So the, the, we have in on our show called must gets. And so Mm -hmm. in that, in that five to 10 minute interview or interaction, you've got a couple questions or a couple things you have to get uh, in there because it's why we're there. Right. Mm -hmm. So wanting to do right by the interaction and the exchange of two individuals wanting that to be something good, wanting that to be something interesting and worth watching, but not necessarily like, oh my God, that's a really famous person in the room and I don't know what I'm going to say. Those days are kind of over because I've shifted now more into how can this interaction be kind of a a beam of light to Mm -hmm. whoever sees it, whoever experiences it. And not just once the interview is done and on air, but if Uh, a logger is going through and writing up the review if it's uh, or the interview or if it's uh, audio engineers who are mixing it if it's you know whoever might encounter this content how might they be touched by it Mm. affected by it you touched on just earlier you have parameters generally like when you're sitting down with Mm -hmm. 
a celebrity guest, whoever you're interviewing, usually it's a time parameter. Uh, then you have the must gets from your job, your show, mm -hmm. and then you're trying to connect with this person. How do you manage all that? Yeah. I mean, it's even more, right? So there's always time. It can go anywhere from you got two minutes and sometimes it's not even minutes. It's like you got two questions. So if I end uh, a phrase, it, what sounds like a question, you have a publicist looking at you like, that was one question. So done. You don't even ask anymore. How are you? This is like that. We'll get to that some other time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you, you find that there are a whole lot of inputs, a whole lot of views and perspectives about what's important. And it's my job, I, as I see it, to kind of cut through that you know, in the beginning of working at Access Hollywood, it was also trying to establish some rapport with these individuals also. So it was like my own thing of like the, my own must get, right? And what I have found more and more and more is the most important thing is that the interaction that you're having is something that is authentic. It is something that is, you are genuinely interested in. You have a genuine curiosity about this person and that you, you don't fake it because everyone knows when you do everyone that from the person you're, you're talking to the people who are watching it, it's the least interesting kind of interview to watch when no one really cares about being there. So finding something about it that really draws you in gives you a kind of energy and a kind of perspective and voice that immediately wakes people up. It immediately draws people in, even people who are more typically withdrawn. Mm -hmm. So that's really how I, you know, I don't, I don't really try to manage it all. You know, there, right. there are days where you'll have like, you'll have a producer who's literally in your ear in an earpiece. You've got a card in front of you. You've got a producer telling you, you've got three minutes left. You've got uh, a publicist over here saying, don't ask any personal questions. You've got uh, a movie rep saying, no spoilers. There are all these rules, right? And mm -hmm. that, that comes in, a, in in many different ways and many different aspects of people's lives and, and roles and, and their responsibility that there's all this input. It's your job to then figure out what is the most important and being clear on what is the most important for you and how you can be then a vehicle for the other important bits that are, that are involved. Cause this kind of parlays into any situation that someone could find themselves in where they are having a meeting with an investor, they pitching to yeah. an investor, they are pitching to a client. Uh, yeah. They want to get something out of that meeting. How do you connect with that person that you're meeting with to be able to create an authentic connection? Because a lot of the times with the celebrities that you're, that you're interviewing, Right? And you have these must-gets, which sometimes they don't want to share. Is there anything that you do to create that authentic connection from the get-go? Well, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I do want to also say that like, while that is my personal mission, it's not every entertainment journalist's mission. It's not every person who sits in an interview's idea of a, an interview gone well. Yeah. Right? And I also want to say that I don't always nail it. <laughs> there are there are a ton of instances where like I go in I'm prepared the situation is great I'm in I'm in alignment with the show we're all on the same page and then you get into the room and the publicist is like we're not talking about that we're not playing a game and keep it to the movie and then you got to figure out what to do so I think one uh, being real like having a really clear idea of what you offer first 
mm-hmm. as opposed to what you want to take from the situation, being really clear on what you bring to the situation, what you bring to the table, what you bring to the interaction and being really honest with yourself about what that means to you and the value of that. Right. And then I think, you know, when it comes to, to like applying this outside of an interview kind of scenario, I look at my interviews like I look at any interaction with a person. Right. And I look at all of my interactions with people like I do my interviews. I want to show up as authentically me as possible. I want to show up as present and in the moment as possible. You know, I often leave my phones outside of the room so I don't see like buzzing and feel buzzing in my pocket or whatever so that I can really dial into that moment. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so I think when you're talking to a person, they won't believe anything you don't believe. They won't buy into anything you don't buy into. And so if you can't effectively communicate your standpoint, your viewpoint, your offering, what makes you different, why you belong, why you're worth the time in the elevator or the conference call or the summit series. If you can't effectively communicate those things, then somebody really can't necessarily buy into it either. And I find that if you can, people are much more willing to take that chance, Mm. you know, is the, is the like quote, that is often used like to take someone would just take a chance on me. And it's like, yeah, but show me why, why would, why should I take a chance? But what about for those folks that you know, the content, you know, what you're meeting about, you are confident about what you plan to talk about, but you get stage fright based Mm. on potentially who you're talking to or who you're meeting with. What advice do you give people struggling with that stage fright? And going back to your point about how you try to be authentically yourself, Mm -hmm. I should um, correct that, not try, knowing you and seeing you on TV and knowing you personally, I know you are authentic both off screen and on screen. So does that just take years of practice or is there something to help people when they do get that stage fright and they fumble their words and they, they know their stuff. They just can't, they're not coming across authentically. Yeah. I think, well, a couple of things. First, I so appreciate that comment. I, it's one of the, it's one of the, the best pieces of the, the, to me, it's the most impactful kind of praise that I can receive in this in this job is that you're just like you are when someone meets me in person. They're like, you're just like you are on TV. Like the, to me, like that's the the realest, truest, best kind of uh, love on me that you that a, that a, a viewer or a stranger can kind of give me. Right. Or even a loved one. I also want to say, like, I'm not an expert in speaking in public. I'm not an expert on speak, speaking authentic, authentically. I don't teach people how to do that. I just know based on my experience, this is how I have done it and how I have gone from working on a teen television show in Indianapolis to a top three network, big three network entertainment news brand now on three different shows hosting. So, like, I have apply to these things in my own life, in my own career, and they have turned out really well for me. What I will say is that for people dealing with stage fright, I still have moments where there's, it's like, it's all on, I feel like it's all on the line. Like you can't mess this up, right? So um, hosting World of Dance on NBC, there, my first time stepping onto that glossy stage, that black shiny floor, in this big, big production 
with Jennifer Lopez, Derek Huff, and Neo. And all, what all I saw when I walked out was money, money, money. This mm-hmm. costs a whole lot of money. We don't have a whole lot of time to waste. Right. But mind you, when I got the job, I had never been a host of a television show like this. And so the only person that I knew who did this well in a way that I really enjoyed and respected, the only two people were Nick Cannon yeah. <laughs> and Ryan Seacrest. Right. Do you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so I tried to channel, I remember that my first sentence, I was like, this is what Ryan Seacrest would do. And this- You said that out loud? I literally, I literally said in my head, do what Ryan Seacrest would do. This is World of Dance. Right. And it was like, oh, that's pretty good. But is that you? Yeah. Is that you? Yeah. And so, and so what I try to do, what I try to do is notice that I'm feeling anxious, mm. notice that I'm feeling a little outside of my element or outside of myself. And then instead of trying to tell myself I'm not anxious, use that energy, harness that energy into something explosive. So for World of Dance, I was able to walk out onto the stage and go, Woo! <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. You may not always have that opportunity in a I'm meeting. Walking into a meeting. <laughs> but I mean, Woo! if you if, <laughs> but if you want to make an impact, that's like, wow, this person is really energized. This person is really crazy. <laughs> what do they have to say? You know what I mean? I, right. I like to catch people a little off guard. And I'm certainly not saying you need to walk into a board meeting to pitch your idea or your um, investor meeting to pitch your idea and and shout at everybody. But certainly I'm saying <laughs> you can take a moment, you can take a moment and harness, kind of channel some of that energy and get it out of you right. and then move forward. You know, and notice I'm feeling anxious right now. Sometimes just saying that instead of, I'm not, I got this, I got this. Right. You know what I mean? Acknowledging exactly where you are in that moment can sometimes give you some power over it. Right. Or in it. And we should preface it. That's obviously your personality, right? Like you should probably lean into whatever your personality is. If you're a more, you know, reserved person, you're not necessarily going to go into a meeting and screaming and jumping up and down and, you know, of course, big extrovert what would they do in that case would they kind of lean into you know what they are good at or do they need to push themselves a little i think if you're if you're if you're talking about speaking in public if you're talking about speaking to a, and selling yeah. yourself yeah i think there's two different scenarios right like you're meeting one on one it's important that there's a lot on the line but then yeah there's obviously talking in front of 200 people yeah i don't think that acknowledging your circumstance or where you are in your emotions is a sign of a weakness. You know, I don't think it's, it is, it is improper or outside of what is appropriate to say, if you're in the middle of a meeting, you notice yourself kind of fumbling, you stopping and saying, "Woo, I, I am really excited to be in this room. I'm really uh, encouraged about having the opportunity to present to you guys. And I just want to make sure I get this right. right. So let me take this one more. Let me take this one more time. There's something about being vulnerable. And not yeah, not just authentic, but vulnerable and open that gets people's attention because we have now so many examples of like this super edited or super produced or kind of fake front that when you allow people, especially if you're looking at investors, they want to feel like they know you. They want to feel like they experience you in a way that is raw and unfiltered um, and true. Right. They want to feel like they who that you're presenting yourself is as is who you are. 
Right. Personally, I wouldn't run away from, like I've looked Jennifer Lopez in the face in a meeting and been like, I am super excited about this season, but I am really nervous about some of these changes, mm. you know, and how like it, it has changed in a, in a way to, to it's right in my wheelhouse, but it's totally different than how I prepared last season. And she looked at me and she was like, but that's why you got this job is because you can do all of this. Right. Because you can do all of this. So she raised me in that moment, you know, when she very easily could have been like, okay, baby. <laughs> right. <laughs> Don't mess it up. Right. You know? Yeah. That's good advice. And I think there's a, there's like, let's say you're, you're speaking in front of a crowd, your advice, if you do fumble, acknowledge it to confirm that this is something really important for me to get right. So I'm just going to take mm-hmm. it back versus sometimes you hear from speakers, don't come onto the stage. And the first thing you say is I'm really nervous. <laughs> um, cut me some slack basically. Cause I think those are two totally different yeah, yeah, scenarios, yeah. right? Yeah. You're definitely not looking to, you're definitely not looking to create an, an excuse for mm-hmm. you being ill-prepared, right? Certainly not that, but if your energy, if you're trying to get your energy in alignment with your preparation, then I think the best way to do that in the moment is acknowledging that. And if, if you do it out loud, cool. But even if for yourself, you're like, you know, this, this means a lot. You have prepared for this. You are ready for this. Lock it up. Lock it up. Yeah. And you, I don't know if you've ever even, if you've ever noticed, but there are moments where I will actually on set do kind of like a, a lock it up motion to myself. Like sometimes prompter will get away from me. You know, we, we do two lives. We do two hours of live shows every day. And so sometimes the story will get away from you or there'll be new components, new elements, or they'll move something and all of that. And so you're like kind of flying by the seat of your pants for the entire country to see live. You kind of just, you remember the fact that you're building it with this team that's in this room. They got your back and lock it up. Mm-hmm. So talking about preparation, mm-hmm. is there a balance between rehearsing too much and being over scripted and being a little more, you know, loose and having a little more fun with, with the content? I, I did a webinar and I had it planned. It was a live webinar. So, you know, as soon as I had the deck that I wanted to present, you know, I ran over a few times to uh, know what I wanted to talk about on each slide. I wasn't overly mm-hmm. scripted. But then as soon as the as soon as the button went live and there's like 150 people in the room, like I just froze. Yeah. And then I found myself reverting back to being pretty scripted. And I don't yeah. think I came across as authentically as I as I could. But were you live? Yeah, I was live. Yeah. Like so you gotta you gotta there's not a moment where you can say, Hey, Lim, give me five minutes to get this together. You have to you have to show up to the moment, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. So I think that this the the script is a a great fallback. It's a great opportunity to like, if all else fails, I know I've got these note cards, right? Mm -hmm. It is, I think that is an essential way to feel, you can't, I don't think it's a great idea to go live or to to go into a moment by the seat of your pants. If it can be avoided, I think you need to, you need to be prepared for the moment. You need to be prepared. You know, they talk about luck being the thing, being the moment where, um, preparation meets opportunity, not this like uh, mystical happening for you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that, that's not what luck is. It's about preparing, getting ready for the thing that you want and creating the space for that. And so I think, especially if your personality is more geared to that kind of preparation, go for it. 
I always say, and then try one take, one element that is a little bit beyond your comfort zone. Yeah, right? right. So if you're if you're going to, if you're going to go for the first time, you're going to present or teach a live webinar. You do probably want to have that kind of mapped out pretty tight. You do probably want to be able to to have something. If you do freeze up or you do space, you can glance down at and say, "Huh, okay, this is where I'm picking up." You know what I mean? Or if all again, if all else fails, I can get back to this. But then have one element, whether the beginning, the middle, or the end, or or whatever, uh, what have you, where you can try something a little out, outside of your comfort zone. So maybe it's only one note and it's, yep. you know, one bullet point. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. Just to get you a little bit outside of how you normally approach it or how what may sound or may come off as scripted right. to get you more comfortable. You know, I also don't think that people need to go from never doing something to doing something one time and should be an expert at it or right. should be the best or perfect at it. I think perfect is like, this really uh, no t- one take wonders and all that kind of stuff like that is a a game that we play with ourselves that isn't really doesn't really do you any good. I think you want to be as prepared again as prepared as possible, but then you want to be able to also live in it and have some fun in it. Otherwise, what's the point of some of it? You know what I mean? Right. Right. Your personality to come across, your passion to come across. And is that you were talking about that before where you used to get nervous interviewing big celebrities and not so much anymore? That doesn't that doesn't happen. Is that because of practice and you do it so often every single day? Or is it a combination of also being able to trust yourself and you know that you've got this? Yeah, I think that's how you develop trust though, is right, is over time yeah. and through experiences. And so when they've gone well and when they haven't gone well. And then when you're when you're your own worst critic, you know, so it's like, man, that interview didn't go well at all. And then you talk to a, or it didn't go as I thought, as well as I thought it would, right? That's always the, the the phrase. It didn't go as well. It didn't go how I thought it would. And then you talk to a producer and they're like, well, we got this story. We got this story. We got this. I remember my first job with Access Hollywood. My first interview was with Taylor Swift. And I found out the day before that I was doing this big exclusive interview. We all know she doesn't do many interviews. I think she's done maybe one since this big exclusive interview, I had seven minutes and in real, like real people time, that's nothing. But in a forced conversation with someone, it is forever. Right. And so it was my first time talking to her, first time meeting her, first time talking to her. And so I was nervous because it was the first of so many things with this person, with this job, and I really wanted it, right? So I showed up with a whole bunch of energy And in that particular case, it worked for me because she saw someone who wasn't trying to necessarily impress her, but who was just really pumped about being there and about sharing that moment with her. Our seven minutes went to 10 minutes, grew to 20 minutes. When she got up, she talked about things in that interview she'd never, ever said out loud in an interview before. She stood up after the, at the end of the interview that her publicist ended only because of the timing. She had to get back to another part of the shoot. She said to uh, Taylor said to me, did you get what you needed? I feel like we were just talking. Yeah. And that was the moment that I knew that in order to be successful in this thing, I was going to have to just be willing sometimes to be in the moment, like not really care so much about all the other stuff that's going on, but really being tied and tethered to the interaction that I'm having. And so if it goes a little bit off script, if it goes a little bit off book or out of my preparation, 
I got to be ready to roll with that. I got to be yeah. okay with rolling with that. I also got to make it good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which means I'm ready to, to show up for that person. Yeah. It was clear what the benefits were from doing that, from honing in and being present and giving your all to this person is that you got more time with her, you know, and that could be in yeah. any situation, right? If you go in, you, you mentioned it before, not thinking about what you're trying to get, but go in thinking how can I help this person? How can I serve? What can I bring to this mm-hmm. moment? Be engaged, be present with that person. And most likely the benefit is they enjoy the time with you. They want to yeah. talk longer with you. They want to spend more time with you. They want to give you more. Yeah. And the really cool thing was for that particular interview, when uh, Tree, her publicist, uh, called the producer, Nancy Harrison, uh, after the interview, they were in the car. And they left a voicemail for Nancy saying, we don't, we've never seen that guy before that you guys had today. But Taylor told me that she would talk, she would do an interview with him anytime. It was so much fun. It was so, they, they talked about so much stuff, things I didn't even know they were going to talk about. And she just went. So thank you for having an out of the box kind of conversation and inter- interaction that really highlighted where we are right now. It was a great piece. And so that was just the interview. Yeah. And probably scored you, scored you a gig. You got me the job. <laughs> if you don't think I sent Taylor Swift some flowers after that when you crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about a time where you did get stage fright. You're in the moment and how you, how you maneuvered out of it. So Bobby Brown wrote a book about his life. And in particular, a large portion of it, of course, was about his relationship with Whitney Houston. And so we received the book. I read cover to cover. Like I am fascinated by this story and his perspective on all the things that have played out in headlines and on television interviews and all of this stuff. Right. And so we get into the interview and I ask him a question about, and I'm a little nervous just because this is a little bit more journalistic. It's a little, it's a lot more fact-based, a lot less feeling-based, but we got to get to the emotions of things. But there are particular moments where it's like, you said this in the book, what did you mean by that? And then based on what his response is, I've got to follow, I've got a series of follow-up questions in order to get to a, a truer true, if that makes any sense. Right. Right. Or a more honest response. And so I was asking him a question about the time frame between his relationship with Janet Jackson and his meeting and initial dating. Whitney in the book is very clear there was some crossover. Mm. So when I ask him, so at what point did you meet Whitney Houston after the relationship or, or after Janet Jackson? And he was like, oh no, they were told those are totally separate. And I wasn't prepared for him to do a total, no, that's not what I said. And I was like, well, in the book, you, and I feel my heart beating because it's like, did I get that wrong? And I'm, I'm going through, I go to the page and in the interview, I read the page and I'm like, no, this is what you said. Yeah. And he's like, no, I, I didn't write that. But it I didn't in write his that. Book. It's in his book. It's in the book. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't write that. And I was just like, he's like, yeah. and I feel like all of a sudden we're talking a lot about Whitney. You know, you keep saying Whitney Houston to me, man, I'm Bobby Brown. And I was like, oh, this is what happens when, like, this is how the beginning of an interview that goes off the rails. Right. It was, it was like, 
this wasn't necessarily an instance of, and this for me was like a point of confrontation, right? So it wasn't like a, oh, I'm not prepared. It was like a, oh, I wasn't expecting this to come up in our interaction. I wasn't expecting this to be the way we would be interacting. And so I had to like, kind of take a second, gather myself and stick to my guns. I had to stick to what, what I knew. I didn't allow that to derail me. I didn't allow that to derail the entire interaction, right? I also gave him a moment to gather himself yeah, and to remind him that the, the point of this conversation was to share bits of your story that you've never shared before. So I understand that it may be uncomfortable for you. And if this is a little too much for you, then let's figure out another way to tell this story. But let's come back to this. What happened? I mean, ultimately, he calmed down. I told him the, the, the point was, we've all heard Whitney in multiple interviews. We all read other people's take on your relationship. This is the first time. It's why you wrote the book. It's the first time that we've heard these stories from your perspective. So I want to be sure that the order in which you present these relationships, we understand them to be correct. And so if in this instance, you're saying, nah, that's not the case, what else can we, is not the case in this book? <laughs> and then when I said that, he was like, what I know, what I wrote was true. And I said, well, brother, which one is it? <laughs> you know, which, which one is it? And at that point, I kind of felt our, our power, who was in control, kind of shifted. In an interview, sometimes you have this idea that you're the one in control because you're the one asking the questions. But I don't like necessarily to have interviews. I like to have conversations. Yeah. So we will, we will share that responsibility a lot in interviews that I do for the show and, and, and for other shows. So this was one of those moments I felt him kind of acquiesce. I felt him allow the space for some real truth. And near the, at the end of the interview, he thanked me and was like, this was, the, this was a, a tough interview, but I appreciate you being honest with me. Mm -hmm. And I said, the, the, the idea here is not to like, gotcha. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? The idea here is not to assassinate your character. I just want to make sure that we're telling the right story. And considering this is something that no one has ever heard out of your mouth before, we'll make sure we're getting it right. Yeah. But for me, it was, I had never, I had never had an ex experience with someone in an interview that had gotten that contentious. But it worked to your advantage if you just, again, showed up authentically you, you took a minute, you composed yourself yeah. and then was just honest with where you were coming from. Yeah. And, and I, and I also know that this was a, a point in my life where meditation had become a pretty regular practice. And so I had also created a space between me and whatever was happening around me, right? Meditation had, had forged this kind of bubble from whatever was happening and my reaction. Mm. And so I didn't necessarily feel like I needed to match his energy level when he got annoyed with my question or line of questioning that I was able to bring it back to the purpose Right. You know what I mean? And that, that's the, the it's it's a stage fright and freezing is all about not letting the moment or conquering those things is all about not letting the moment get so far away from you that you don't know how 
to respond. Gotcha. I can do you one better. This was a this was a live hit. Anton Yelchin was a uh, an actor in Hollywood and was on Star Trek. He was to to put it plainly, he was crushed by his SUV and killed early one morning uh, in Hollywood. And it was one of my first live stories, live hits. Uh, a live hit is where you basically, you're reporting live from either your show or the scene uh, for another portion of the, of the newscast. And it was a remote for Washington, D.C. Live to millions of people, there is no stuffing up. Yeah, live to everyone who can watch this, sh- this newscast in Washington, D.C. And my, pro- my executive producer said, we're going to have you do it today in 30 minutes because you were on the scene. Just talk about what you saw. Right. I have been a reporter. I have done this thing time and time again, not necessarily live, but I have told the story that I'm seeing on countless occasions. I was prepared to go one way with my response and to get into the story one way. The the fact of the matter is we didn't know a whole lot about the story outside of where he was, how he died, that he in fact had passed away. Hmm. So the reporter or the anchor asks me, Scott, what do we know? And I think I literally said, well, what, what we do know is that he has, he has passed away. And I had, I'm, li- I'm on live television talking about the, the, the death of someone that I have seen, interacted with, and really enjoyed on camera. And I am failing at telling his story. And I immediately started to have like what was like a what felt like a panic attack. I was like, oh, God, I can't. Uh, and I couldn't think of the, the word rehearsal. I couldn't think of the words um, he was on his way to. And I just froze. Mm. Why do you think that on was? live television? Um, I think it was a combination of things that I, I, I wasn't adequately prepared for the live hit. I wasn't adequately adequately prepared for all of the technical things that would happen at Access Hollywood for a live hit, mm. right? Like I'd never done one before with Access and probably shouldn't have done the first one, shouldn't have been about the death of a person who had literally died hours before this live hit. Yep. And when my boss said, you're going to do the hit, I probably also should have said, okay, but what does that mean? Mm-hmm. What does that look like here? Can I run through that a couple of times? I just was like, oh, okay, I've done this before. I can do this. And uh, was unable to. And I just we basically just got out of the, the, the live hit as quickly as possible. And then I went directly to my boss and I was like, I just want you to know, this is not, this was not good. I yeah. did not like it. Um, I did not perform near my best. And what I can assure you is that it will never, ever happen again. He was afraid it's fine. It can't be that bad. He hadn't seen it. Next morning, he calls me to his office and he was like, Evans. And I was like, I t- we had this conversation yesterday. He was like, yeah, but I hadn't seen it yet. I was like, I could tell. I could tell. Um, and what I said to him in that, in that conversation was, please don't allow this to be the thing that you think about when you consider me for it again. Please just put me in the next one so right. that I can start building on more positive experiences in this and growing in it. Yep. And now my live hits for DC, they request, like they actually request specific talent sometimes for mm-hmm. the, the DC, for the different affiliate hits. And I get requested. Yeah. So I turned that into an opportunity to grow, to do better. Yeah. You know, that wasn't great. And I didn't run from that. 
I think there's lessons in there that we can all learn, right? First of all, preparation and not just with, Mm -hmm. you know, the content and what you're about to talk about, but the tech side of it, right? It's obviously very specific for you and doing, you know, live television. But in any instance, if you're doing a live webinar, if you're presenting in front of 10 people in a boardroom, or if you're doing a big public speaking event to 10,000 people, know the stage, the tech Mm -hmm. that's involved, run through it. Don't go out and just try and wing it. Wing it. Part of that was also because of the kind of confidence that yeah. my boss seemed to have in me. So it was like, right. oh, well, if he thinks I can do this, I must be able to do this. I don't right. much, I'm, I must not need much more information. And what it taught me was that you have to be sure. You need to be sure. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where authentic- authenticity comes from is being, knowing yeah. who you are, knowing yeah. what you offer. And knowing what you need. Mm -hmm. But also, I don't think being in that circumstance where he has confidence in you, Mm -hmm. you asking questions or potentially saying, what does this involve? Tell me about this. I don't think, and not just in this scenario, but in any other scenario, being curious and over-prepared, I don't think anyone would lose confidence in you. If anything, I think they have more confidence in you that you're a professional. And you know you've got this handled. And going back to the lessons from this story is that after the fact, you also went back to your boss and 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 owned up to it. It's like, yeah, I, I stuffed up on that one, but here's where I learned. Here's, you know, I'm not going to do that again. So if you do know that maybe that talk or that presentation didn't go as best as you had hoped, don't ignore the elephant in the room. And if you are you know, working for a client, you know, a, a producer of an event that got you there to speak, you want to maintain that relationship. Yeah. And, and again, be clear and honest with yourself. Had I at that, at that time felt like, or not felt like I needed to just know everything, mm-hmm. I would have said to, to him, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. And what does that look like? Or can someone else this time and I can watch that process so that I can be better prepared for when it is my turn? Yeah. Yeah. You know, but we we have we all have this idea that we have to be everything for everyone all the time. And it doesn't always it doesn't always work in our favor. Mm -hmm. And you should probably also be prepared that something's going to go wrong and it's out of your hands as well. There could Mm -hmm. be a tech issue and it's not going to be your problem. The mic goes out or the PowerPoint doesn't work. You know, be prepared that that could happen and maybe have something in your back pocket. And that goes back to knowing your content and knowing what you're talking about. It's also interesting thinking about that process or thinking about that particular instance. I also know that it was a time that my boss was looking at Mm-hmm. what I could do because mm-hmm. there were no producers in my ear giving me any help. Right. There was nothing in the prompter that offered any sort of here are the story bits or who even you're talking to in DC. Yeah. There was, I was literally flying blind. Mm. And so one of the things that I put in place and, and was made and made sure that anytime I do a live hit is that there's always at minimum, I know the names of the anchors that I'm talking to mm-hmm. and the, the brief story points that make up this particular story. So not only did I own up to the, the situation as, as my fault uh, and my 
areas of issue, but then I also put in place things that would prevent me ever from going in that direction or failing that way yeah, or that gravely ever again. Yeah. What about when you were talking about the Bobby Brown scenario? Is there a way to gracefully abort dialogue that has gone off track or is, is not going the way that you planned? Oh, that happens to me all the time. Because what happens, you have you have a publicist who says, this is okay, or a producer who's like, we've cleared this, and then you get in the interview or you get in the, in the interaction, and it is very clearly not. For example, I had a, um, we were doing a, an interview with uh, a woman who goes by the name Miss Diddy. She's in a, a, a multi-hyphenate. P. Diddy's mom? No. <laughs> <laughs> but she was inspired by Diddy when she came up with her name because he is a boss. Uh, but she's a multi-hyphenate entrepreneur and she was very close friends with Nipsey Hussle, mm. uh, the late Nipsey Hussle, and his wife, Lauren London. And so one of the questions that our producers wanted us to get because she was on our show was, you know, you, you have thrown events for everyone. You know, even the, the late Nipsey Hussle has tapped you for an event. Can you just tell us what that was, what that was like? One, the, the event was the wrong, the event we were given was the wrong event right? We were told it was, an, it was a birthday party and it was in fact an, an album release party or perhaps even the other way around. But she was so uncomfortable with the question. Mm. She started to answer and she was like, oh no, I would rather, and we're on live TV. I was like, she said, oh, oh, I would, I would, I uh, would rather not. Um, I just, you, I don't really want to, I said, no problem. No problem. I think that the, the, the fascination, the curiosity is that he was just such a fixture in this community. And so anyone who is, uh, has been close to him or knew him intimately, people want to know more about him. Uh, but I certainly understand and can respect why that might not be something you're comfortable with yet. But I would, I would encourage you that when you are there, that you come back and you share those stories with us because we will still be interested in them. Mm. Uh, and then Kit took that as an opportunity. My co-host took that as an opportunity to, to go ahead and wrap the whole interview. <laughs> it was like, because you don't want to then require them to yeah. go another direction um, when they have, when they have, when someone has been made so uncomfortable. And so I, al I always lean in with love when I have, especially if I have made someone uncomfortable, if I see someone is uncomfortable, I always lean in with compassion. My first question is how would I want someone to deal with me? How would, how would I want someone to talk to me? Mm -hmm. Right. And I try to start there mm. and I apologized sent her flowers also, because again, the, 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 it was, was never meant to be uncomfortable for her. It was never meant to be, the, the intention was, was, was totally pure. In fact, uh, but because the intention was, doesn't mean that's how she felt about it. Right. And so you have to honor the feelings about that. And so if you have said something that either pisses someone off or makes them uncomfortable or whatever the various scenarios can be, I think acknowledging that their feeling about it yeah. is important. Yeah. And you got to be attuned to their body language and all those mm -hmm. little elements because that was, you're going to have times where it's not so obvious that they are uncomfortable. Yeah. Like she literally said to you, oh, I don't want to talk about this, but you could be in a meeting or a situation where you don't, they could be answering a question or they could be talking about something that they really don't want to talk about. So you've got to be attuned to everything that's, that's, that's going around in that, in that scenario, the energy and be able to 
shift and move because they say the end, read the room read the room yeah read, read the room because yep. you want to be able to walk away as a win-win both of you enjoyed your time together tell us about the time where you first realized that being in front of a camera was the career path for you so that's really an interesting question for me because I I knew that I wanted to be working in entertainment since the third grade. I was a young Reggie Miller playing against, a, was booked as a young Reggie Miller playing against a young Larry Bird for the Indiana Pacers home game, like intro video like where they announce the, the players and come out on the, the court. And that's when I knew that I wanted to work in in production like I remember it being a much bigger production than it actually was I remember it <laughs> feeling really big and I think it was only a cameraman and a camera and a light but in the third grade that was so so major and then to watch it play back during the first home game and people lost their minds and I wasn't crazy I didn't think they were losing their minds for me but I did feel like I wanted to be a part of creating things moments that people did respond like that, where people Mm -hmm. did share in like that, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And so pretty early on in middle school, I got involved in this, in this organization, Youth Video Institute in Indiana, YVI at Indiana Black Expo. And I was training to be a cameraman and, and editor Mm -hmm. and videographer. I was a very awkward looking adolescent. (laughs) <laughs> well, and did not believe I've seen pictures of well, wasn't it? I've seen pictures they aren't that awkward yeah, you've seen pictures I've let you see so um, <laughs> it was a very like I did I, I was always I always felt like I was the guy with the personality not necessarily the guy that people wanted to look at and so hmm. you know I thought maybe being behind the camera was a good place for me to be and then I was producing this segment called the 360 Eatery where we were going around different restaurants in the city and people and chefs and restaurant owners were showing me like their signature dish. And then we would air that as like a, like a segment on the show. And one day the talent didn't show up. And so, yeah, I, I jumped in front of the camera and another friend ran camera and I have been in front of the camera ever since Mm. been in front of the camera, uncle Artie's barbecue. I'll never forget it. And he said to me, you're real good at this. (laughs) You know what I mean? This is is a much older uh, black gentleman in Indianapolis. Um, who owned this barbecue restaurant, Uncle Artie's. And he said to me, you know, where, where's this going to be? I would love to see this. You're really good at this. <laughs> and I was like, this will be the rest of my life. <laughs> like, was it that clear to you? Yes, it was absolutely that clear to me. Wow. It was absolutely that clear to me. And then after that, I, my, my, and really after the third grade, even my mom, my, who I call my, my older sister, uh, my big sister, Stacy Pates, did everything they could to ensure that I was a part of any performance, any telecommunications, school newspaper, news shows that I could be. Like I literally did everything that was possible in the state of Indiana or in the, the, the city of Indianapolis that would give you some sort of experience in front of cameras and in front of audiences. And so by the time I was working at the Indiana Pacers, talk about full circle, as the first, as the the youngest to ever be the M- the MC for an NBA team, and then the first black mm. MC for the Pacers. By the time I was standing in front of those thirteen to sixteen thousand people, I had been in front of audiences and wasn't afraid of that scale. Yeah. Do you still have that commercial you did when you were in third grade? 
I have tried so many times to find that intro video. I've called Doug Morgan at the Indiana Pacers and said, I know y'all have it. It would have been from this year to this year. Uh, we cannot find it. I am, I am, it's something I got to get back to yeah. um, because it really was the moment that I can remember. Uh, but if you ask my parent, my mom, my parents, people who have helped raise me, they will tell you that I have probably been performing in some respect since leaving the womb. Mm-hmm. That sounds like something my mama would say. Mm. That hasn't stopped. <laughs> what? Um, what you trying to say? What you trying to say? <laughs> the world's your stage. I've always said that. The world's your stage. So you were talking about like ex- your, your, the people that were raising you made sure that you were getting as much experience in front of a camera as possible up to now. So mm-hmm. these days, video plays such a big part across the board. Whether you're TV talent or you're a entrepreneur or you know you're an influencer, influencer. Instagram. Yeah, video is paramount to getting your voice out and being a leader. You've had the experience. There's people that struggle to film themselves, whether it's just with their phones and they buy themselves. Do you have any tips on how do they practice? How do they get better at that? What can they do? I mean, I think you know this. I mean, I think it's it it's an adage because it's true. Practice makes perfect. You just have to keep doing it. Mm. You know, it, it wasn't that I was like blessed with this like comfort in front of a camera or comfort in front of large audiences. It was just that I just found myself there, you know what I mean? Time and time again, or I worked to get there. Being raised around this organization in Indianapolis, Indiana Black Expo, I was around large crowds of people who were doing things in front of large crowds all the time. And as a kid, that was kind of a kind of normal, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So when the mic was handed to me and it was like, do your dance, baby, do that, do you do that thing you know we like? (laughs) (laughs) you know I wasn't nervous because I was I felt supported you know the people that I was I was in front of there was support there for me there was love there for me so I would say for anybody who is starting or expanding in a way where video and audiences are playing a part you just gotta keep doing it right you just gotta keep doing it and if it means that you do a whole bunch before you release them Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily mean you you start a YouTube channel and you you create your first video, you put it up, and then based on that response, let you know if you're successful or not. That's certainly right. not what I'm saying. Right. What I'm saying is that you've got to just keep doing it. And and in some respect, you may have to keep doing it, even though people are like, "Dude, do she know that she shouldn't be doing this?" Or you yeah, know what I mean? Like okay. you got to work past that awkwardness. Mm-hmm. And if you're a content creator. I tell young people who are always like, you know, I want to, I'm trying to get an agent or I'm trying to get on NBC or I'm trying to get on CBS. And it's like, never before has it been easier to create and, and garner your own audience or own following for exactly what you want to do than now. Mm -hmm. Every single phone has a camera, Mm -hmm. every single one and a microphone that can be uploaded to YouTube, Vimeo, Instagram, Snapchat. Twitch, mm-hmm. I mean, OnlyFans, you know, <laughs> <laughs> literally you can create content however you want to create it. I mean, and, I, and I'm, I, I know that sounds like a joke, but I, I'm really not like there is there is there is a large market for various kinds of different video content. And so you can tap into that. But the only way to do it is to tap into it. 
<laughs> we're not encouraging anyone to go out and start shooting their own home videos here but hey you know maybe yeah definitely yeah i'm not i'm not i'm but i'm also not saying don't <laughs> whatever i'm just kidding i get it i get it so you were talking about meditation before you practice meditation are there any other practices that you do to help you before you go live on tv or before you speak in front of a crowd yeah so speaking clearly being able to effectively communicate has is part of being prepared uh, but there are like practical like super practical like actually warming up your mouth mm -hmm. um, to prepare to move in a way that is that is easy to communicate you know we do all these kind of like um warm-up techniques the the lips to teeth tip of the tongue the lips the teeth the tip of the tongue red leather yellow leather good blood bad blood because it wakes your mouth up in a way hang on describe you describe one of them for me so i can I can do you it. Try it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. So, um, <laughs> so I want you to say back to me. Hang on. I'm out of water too, everybody. So. Oh, okay. Now you're gonna. <laughs> now you're gonna try to. You just walked out in front of the audience and said, "Okay, I'm a little nervous." <laughs> I just. I just did what I told you not to do. Okay. I'm good. You gonna try it? You gonna try it? I'm good. Okay. So I'm gonna give you. Hang an, on. A, I'm gonna give you it. Hang on. <laughs> oh my God. I got some mouth spray that's lubricated my mouth. <laughs> um, okay. So this is a real easy one. Mm -hmm. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather, <laughs> red <laughs> leather, red leather, yellow leather, good blood, bad blood, good blood, bad blood. Hang on. What is, first of all, what's this doing? You are literally moving your mouth in a way that is preparing it to speak, right? So w you wake up in the morning, mm -hmm. you haven't said anything to anybody, you, you know, you're you barely have had your cup of coffee and maybe given your dogs uh, a kiss. You, you probably shouldn't jump on a, on a, um, a call to pitch your company. Right. You know what I mean? You need to warm up though. It's all a muscle. It's all, um, uh, muscle memory and you have to warm you it is it is advisable to warm that up and so the red leather yellow leather is getting your mouth stretched it's getting your your jaw prepared to speak it's getting your mind clear and focused um, another one that we do is um, whether the weather be cold whether the weather be hot you go Ugh, that's a tough one try it hang on say it again whether the weather be cold whether the weather be hot whether the weather be cold, whether the weather be hot. Yeah. We'll be together. <laughs> we'll be I'm not going to. Hey, let me try that one again. Learning this. Whether the weather be cold, whether the weather be hot. <laughs> Why am I getting stuck on? <laughs> words I shouldn't be getting stuck on. Whether the weather be cold, whether the weather be hot. We'll be together, whatever the oh. weather, whether we like it or not. I, no, I'm not going to. No, you on. can try it. Do it again. Whether the weather be cold, whether the weather be hot, we'll be together whatever the weather, whether we like it or not. Whether the weather be cold, whether the weather be hot, we'll be together whether the <laughs> <laughs> So like it's it's really just about, it's best I mean, it's to not write about this nailing down. it. Yeah. Maybe. Well, at um, least know what you're trying to say. I've also been doing them for years, right? right? So I studied theater in college and and uh so this these were kind of the things that helped us click into 
whatever, click out of whatever you're doing before mm-hmm. and to prepare yourself for what you're about to do. Right. You see you you see people who go from meeting to meeting, call to email to fa- to I'm going to say the faxes from calls to emails to uh, social engagement. And they seem to do it seamlessly or, mm-hmm. or rather easily. Mm-hmm. They've practiced that. Right. You know what I mean? There, there's a system to that. And so you have to click into your system. Um, it is it is probably not the best idea to go from working a job you know, in in an office somewhere for someone else to all of a sudden working for yourself and feeling like, oh, you got it all figured out. Right. You know, you got it. There's a, there's a, you click in and click out. And so those exercises help you, gotcha. help me. So they're good for warming up your vocal cords, getting you ready to enunciate words. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about motivation and getting yourself? Yeah, so my, my prayer before every show um, whether it's World of Dance or Access Hollywood or Access Daily or, you know, I'm hosting a, um, a panel, you know, a converse, a Q&A for uh, a movie or something like that. My goal, my whole and everything is to be a reflection of the light that is shown to me, right? To be present in a situation and and so present that this interaction bless the lives of people who are in earshot, who watch mm-hmm. later, who mm-hmm. are involved, and that we both have opportunities to show up as authentically as possible mm. uh, because who knows who might else be listening. Mm-hmm. And that usually cuts any sort of anxieties that I might have about a question I might have to ask or about how difficult it might be to get to a, a, a particular topic based on why we're there in the room or about whatever happened on the way to this particular interview, you know? Um, it really helps me dial in to why I'm here, what I'm doing, and and how I can be giving to it. So it's kind of like setting an intention. It is 100%. Yeah. yeah. So again, I've witnessed this personally with you. You're able to walk into a room, you liven up the space. You can tell when Scott Evans has entered a party, entered a room, everybody knows that you've entered the room. You have this light that obviously shines and puts a smile on everyone's face. And you do this both on camera and off camera. Is that just your natural being, your natural talent, or do you have tips, practices on how to have stage presence, just have how to have presence in general? Well, I think I would I would ask you that question. What do you think? Like, do you do you think it is a matter of um, like just being a natural person people are drawn to or or what? Yeah, I think, you know, it, it's obviously authentic. It's your personality. It's your nature. I'm just wondering when it comes to being on stage. And especially in Access Hollywood, where you're sharing a stage with other personalities or interview uh, subjects, does that come into play about how you're holding yourself? Obviously, there's stage blocking and such, but is there anything else to it? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, it kind of goes back into, I really do believe I'm doing exactly what I was put on this planet to do, right? And so I, and I also believe I am exactly where I'm supposed to be right now. 
Like I don't, I, I have released the expectation over my life of by this time, I must be this. By this age, I must be this. Or by August, I must have this in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? I've kind of allowed myself to really feel where I am. That doesn't mean I don't have dreams for what I want in the future or where I want to be in the future or, or, or aspirations of growing, but feeling like it is my responsibility right now to be there. And the same time you can't, right? You do either, you do both a dis, uh, an injustice. You know what I mean? To address like walking into a room. I don't know. I don't know that I, that's a, a something that I do on purpose you know, dance is just such a, like, I, I feel like I always hear some music. So when I walk into a room, I always feel like there is some music playing. So if it's friends of mine, I usually do walk into a room like a, ah, you know, with like a dance move or something like that. But that's just who I am. Right. What about into a um, room of NBC executives? Yeah. So it's literally the same thing. I remember standing, <laughs> um, no joke, no joke. I remember standing in was at this party, this this pre-Emmy party that NBC was throwing. And at the time, there were two major, major NBC executives. One was actually a Comcast executive. So it was like my boss's boss's boss and his boss's boss mm -hmm. were talking. I had never met my boss's 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 boss, right? I had never met this particular individual. So I go to see the person that I do know and... When I approached him, I tapped him on the shoulder and said, I almost twerked on your on your uh, leg just then. And he leaned over to me and said, I'm so glad that you didn't because this is our boss. Well, this is my boss's boss. And I was like, I'm just going to be over here standing when you get finished with that. Right. But it was a moment that was kind of created with him that when he finished that conversation, he walked directly over to me and was like, are you crazy? Right. And I was like, no, my bad. I didn't know. Mm -hmm. But then it opened up this whole different kind of conversation. And he was able to share some things with me about what, what was happening in our show that he maybe wouldn't have otherwise. But because we kind of cut through the bull mm -hmm. um, and I showed up authentically, he honored that. Yeah. Now, I'm certainly not saying to walk into a room and twerk on strangers. I am <laughs> certainly, certainly not saying that. But yeah, I think that, I think that the idea in all of it is... Showing up, mm. showing up and, and putting your best foot forward. You know mm. what I mean? Putting your your true, authentic self forward. And that mm. doesn't necessarily always have to be a big personality. It doesn't always have to be this grand entrance. Certainly doesn't. Yeah. What if your authentic self is the polar opposite to making a scene, coming in and having a dance and such? Yeah. But they are aware that they want to step up a bit. They want to be able to make a bigger, bigger moment, you know, when they walk into a room. Yeah. Is there anything in particular that they can do to help with that? Get you some twerk lessons. Besides twerking? They have them. <laughs> no, they have them every, they have them every week on Instagram right now. They, you can get them <laughs> right now on Instagram. True. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I, I think, again, it's not about going to your total opposite in character characteristic or personality trait. I'm certainly not, if you are, if you are a, a reserved person with a, a more introvert kind of personality, mm -hmm. it probably is not in your best interest to break into a room. Hello, I'm here. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? 
one, that's going to come off super inauthentic. Mm -hmm. And based on how that's received, you probably aren't prepared for how to pivot out of that. Right. If these people know you and know that that's not your authentic self, most likely they're thinking you're drunk. (laughs) Yeah. But, But even if they don't know you, right, even if they have never interacted with you before, you can kind of tell when someone is fronting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You can, you can, you can just tell when when someone is being when they're trying to impress you, right. right? You can you can feel that, and so I think you you lean into what's one step right. outside of your comfort zone, right? So if you if it's about you walking into a room and wanting to feel like you you have ownership over the room or like you you belong there, make it your mission within five within three minutes. Introduce yourself to three different people. Mm-hmm. I have a I have a, a very close family friend um, who told me once at a party in Indianapolis because I was nervous and not introduced, like I was not being myself in this particular room because I didn't feel like I belonged. She was like, uh-uh, you need to imagine from now on when you walk into these rooms, pretend that you're the host, mm. that you are throwing the party. Mm. Pretend in your mind that this is a room you booked and this is food that you picked out for these individuals and you should move through this space, not only like you belonged here, Mm -hmm. but that you invited everyone to be here, Mm -hmm. which is probably why I walked over to my boss and thought it was okay to twerk on his (laughs) leg. (laughs) Yeah, that's a great tip. You know, because I felt like this is my space as much as it is yours or yours. And we all belong in this space. And so there's nothing that you can do that really will make me uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I love that idea. Yeah. You yeah. Just, and it, cha- it was a game changer for me. Yeah. Until the venue bill comes and then you're just, no, I'm, I'm not the host. Yeah, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, bye. Uh, that you, guy over there. <laughs> you've shared a lot of really good insights. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you'd like to talk to when it comes to speaking with your authentic voice? I think you have to know that fear, like I have on my, I have a tattooed on my arm, um, go forth and be fearless, mm-hmm. right? In what I believe is a language. It, I should say, I have a tattoo that represents <laughs> go forth and be fearless. Um, back when I didn't have a real good understanding of what fear was, I think now being pretty established in this particular uh, facet of my career, I understand that fear is sometimes a necessary part of the experience. Mm -hmm. You know, Daniel Mm -hmm. Laporte says that fear keeps you alert, that fear keeps you awake and aware, that if it is not about operating in the absence of fear, but it is taking it alongside you. I think that the thing that I would want anyone to know about anything they're doing ever, especially if it's something new or outside of their comfort zone, is that fear is a natural part. Just don't let that be the thing that stops Mm. you. Mm -hmm. Look fear in the face and say, I'm glad you showed up, but you're going to have to ride this one out with me because I will not be not doing this because you showed up. So fear along with joy, peace, and confidence, let's ride. And, and being willing to and open to understanding that and not beating yourself up over 
failures or dismay or when things didn't go the way you wanted it to or when you were told point blank, this is a terrible idea. You should not be doing this. Mm-hmm. Not allowing that to rule over you in a way that you never try anything ever again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that would that would be my point. Nothing changes if nothing changes. I love that. Yeah. I love that point. And it's a great place to wrap up. Scott, I appreciate you. Thank you for sharing your insight. Oh, I appreciate you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you, brother. I do appreciate this. And I, I really do. I, I applaud you for gathering this space where people can share what they've learned on this journey, what they're experiencing on this path of trying, you know, just trying to do better and be better. And also sharing the points that were maybe they didn't always have it together. Mm-hmm. I think that there's also lessons in that too, you yeah. know? Yeah, it's all a journey. I applaud you, brother. I appreciate you. Hey, thanks for listening. I hope you feel energized and confident to start using your voice. Because you know what? The world needs it. And remember to do those vocal warm-ups before you do. I eventually got it. It's whether the weather is cold, whether the weather is hot. We'll be together whatever the weather, whether we like it or not. Boom! There it is. (laughs) You can find Scott on Instagram at IamScottEvans. Reach out to him, show him some love, and let him know which tip from the episode resonated with you the most. And please subscribe to the show if you haven't already. I appreciate you. Thanks for showing up and being you.